Well, good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning and to serve our able God together. Thank you, Brother Stephen, for sharing that tremendous message. I, I feel very, uh, very privileged to be able to share a service with Stephen. Um, it's been a couple years ago, at least one or two, that uh, we were in Bible school together. So look at the boys around you. And uh, think forward 10 years, and this could be you. You've got a lot to look forward to. I'd like to start off with a few verses out of Luke chapter 13, verses 23 and 24. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. On our own strength, we're not able. With God, we are able. I love that habitual verb to strive. And I believe this morning that uh, I'm worshiping with a bunch of strivers. That's what we want to be. The title for my message this morning is Trapped by Integrity. What a strange title. How do you get trapped by integrity? What does it even mean? Well, I'm going to tell you a story about two friends that went to school together. They grew up together. Uh, when they, when they uh, reached a certain age, they started their own businesses. They became successful, had careful business practices, and, and uh, got to the point where they were, they were both moderately successful. Neither of them were millionaires, but... Neither of them was exactly lacking for funds either. Then one day an opportunity came. There was a merger opportunity for a large company. They could, one or the other or both of them, could have joined with this large company. And one of them chose to go ahead with that because he thought it was a wise business decision. Now this, this company was highly successful, but there were a few Problems. They were kind of known for shady dealings, hostile takeovers, lots of litigation, and plenty of political friends that helped them get out of some of their difficult situations. One of them made a wise business decision and joined with them. The other one said, I can't. I can't be part of a company that has those sorts of ethics, and due to integrity, he chose not to make that decision, not to make that merger. And after this point, the businessman became fabulously wealthy. If he traveled, it was in a private jet. He hobnobbed with successful people, political people. He had multiple vacation homes, whereas the business owner remained kind of what he was. He was still moderately successful. But if he flew anywhere, it was on economy class, on a commercial airline. The people that he met with were other business owners. His family enjoyed taking vacations in rented cabins or campers or tents. But he never quite got over the path that his friend had taken. And he would often remark to these other business owners that he met with that, you know, I could be where my friend were right now. I, I could have that lifestyle if it, if it weren't for my integrity. If it weren't for that bothering me, I could, I could be there. I could, 
oh, you know, I just got back from this rough trip and flights were canceled and stuff. And if I would have, you know, if this would have been my friend, I could have flown there on my own private jet. But, you know, my, my integrity just, just kept me from making that decision. I could be rolling in money, but my integrity just kept me from making that choice. And his life remained defined not by the decision that he made, but by the decision his friend made. Because he really wanted his friend's lifestyle, but he couldn't quite get his conscience to go along with it. And it gnawed at him that he was too scrupulous to make that choice. He was trapped by his integrity. Being trapped by your integrity is the feeling when you have the opportunity to follow fleshly desires and don't. But afterwards, you live in a sort of resentful righteousness. I really wanted to do what the others did, but I didn't. You know, I, I could have done that, but I'm trapped by my integrity. And sometimes we feel that even if maybe we're not directly faced with a temptation, knowing that others your age are doing or have done or will do things, whatever it is, and you feel like you maybe missed out or are missing out. Even if faced with that direct temptation, you would not give in to it, you still feel like maybe there's something I'm missing on. But I, I wouldn't do that because of my integrity. It might even be something that's not exactly sinful, but that's not positive. And you're going to face this right here at Bible school. You're going to face some pressures that may not be sinful, but may not be positive. Somebody might suggest that we should have a day where we all have weird hairstyles. And you decide, you know, that's not a positive thing. I'm not going to participate in that. But deep down inside, you wish that your sense of propriety wasn't so strong that, you know, you could do that. Or you guys might wish that you could be bolder in talking to the girls or girls wish you could be bolder and talking to the guys and you see somebody that is and you wouldn't do that because you know it's not really proper but deep down inside you wish you could and you're you know wish your sense of propriety again wasn't so strong that's being trapped by integrity so in this message I'd like to explore that thought look at some biblical examples and see where the trap here actually lies who is trapped why they get trapped, and what the way out of the trap is. And there's four Bible characters that I'd like to look at and sort of the path of their lives. Um, and I'm just going to take them in chronological order, two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. First one I'm going to look at is Balaam in Numbers 22 through 24. And I'm not going to read all of this because uh, you know the story. Balaam was a godly man. He did what was right. But Balaam got to a point where he became trapped by his desire. Balak's messengers came to him. They were wanting him to go with them and curse the Israelites that were in their land. And he went, Balak wanted them out. And he was begging Balaam to come and, and curse them or do something that would make so that life would be difficult for them. And he promised Balaam 
all kinds of things if he would. He promised him prestige. He promised him wealth. Things that Balaam had not even been able to imagine up to this point. And you can sense Balaam really, really wanting to go. Oh, if only I could. But God is kind of holding me back. But let me ask him again. Ah, no, God's still holding me back. Let me ask him again. And finally, God said, go ahead. Oh, Balaam was excited. But it says that God was displeased with him. And so he went. And you know the story of how he, his donkey talked to him. He was given another opportunity to make the right choice. But he, did, he, he really wanted, he really wanted this. He got there, and not once, but three times, he blessed Israel instead of cursing them. Balak the king was furious with him. But he said, well, I, I would love to, essentially, is what he said, but I, I, I'm stuck. I, I have to say what God wants me to say. It's not that I want to say these things, but here I am. He was trapped. He was trapped by his integrity, by his desire to get something that, uh, that he didn't have. But God held him back. How many of you are trapped by desire? You want something so badly, but can't quite bring yourself to go against what you know is right, what you know God requires. So many good things that you see others enjoying or think that they're enjoying, and I'm stuck here. I'm, I'm trapped by my integrity. Over in 1 Samuel 26, we have the account of one of the accounts of David. And here I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 to give us this context. 1 Samuel 26, verses 1 through 12. David fleeing from King Saul here. And the Ziphites came to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the captain of his host. And Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul, <clears throat> to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, <clears throat> God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once. And I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But... I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they got them away. And no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked. For they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. 
Here was David trapped by authority. Saul was his authority, and it was, just a, it was a splendid opportunity for him to deal with the one that had been making his life absolutely miserable. He could have killed King Saul with ease, and not only that, he had plausible deniability. He wasn't even the one that had to kill him. Abishai was offering to do it. David could have just said, well, you know, if you want to do that, I'm, I'm going to go kind of head on over this direction and, and then gone back to the people and been like, oh, I, I was really there when, when it happened. Abishai was saying something about it. You know, he had plausible deniability. He could have separated himself from the situation and allowed it to happen, but he didn't. He said that he can't usurp the authority that God gave Saul. And until God himself chose to change that authority structure, he wasn't going to do anything. And he wasn't going to be a part of that change happening. It was in God's hand. Poor David. Unsurpassed opportunity right here, and he can't take it. He's trapped by authority, trapped by his integrity. Do you ever feel trapped by authority? Your parents, your church, other authorities that require things of you. A lifestyle, responsibilities, actions that aren't what you want. If you could only spear that authority into the ground, then you could go on in the wisdom that you know you have. You wouldn't even have to make that break yourself. You know, you could join with someone else who's already made the break. Just go with a peer that you, that you know is, is against their authorities. And you can blame it on them. You know, I, I wouldn't have gone to that place or I wouldn't have done that or I wouldn't have said those things if, you know, if, if they wouldn't have been the ones to go there. That's plausible deniability. But maybe you don't do that. Maybe you, you, you do follow your authority. You do what you should. You make good choices with your friends, with your actions, but deep down inside you're seething. You reluctantly listen to your authorities because you're just you're held back by that pesky integrity. I'd like to look over now in the New Testament in Matthew 1 and this is kind of a continuation of a of a story that uh, that Stephen was telling. Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 we have Joseph's side of the story. Stephen talked about Mary. We have Joseph's side here. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Joseph was trapped by righteousness. What a dilemma. You know, he must have just wanted to just move on with his life, forget the whole thing, he knew that his fiancée must have been involved in something he didn't even want to contemplate. And tradition would have allowed for a public shaming. But Joseph couldn't quite bring himself to do that. And the word that describes him here, just, also means righteous. It's the same word that's used in, uh, in Luke to describe Simeon when he was at the temple uh, to, and, uh, and received Jesus. They, that same word, just, is used to describe him. And it's also used to describe Jesus himself Later in Luke, centurion, after Jesus uh, was crucified, the centurion said, this was a righteous man. That word righteous is the same word as is translated just here. So Joseph was a righteous man, and because of that, he didn't want to do what was 
traditionally his, his, uh, his right. So he decided to take care of this situation quietly. Even with every reason to raise the roof, he opted for righteousness. Have you ever felt bound or trapped by righteousness? When there's a good reason for you to be resentful or angry or offended or upset, but you choose not to portray those emotions because you know they aren't right, but inside you still seethe. You want to let those emotions out, but you're just trapped by your integrity. And then there's a story of Peter in Matthew chapter 22. Verse 54. I'm sorry. It's Luke 22, I believe. Nope, it's not. Okay. Well, I wrote the wrong reference down. So this is the story of, of uh, when Peter was denying Jesus. And it's the these verses that I'm looking for here are where... Jesus told him that uh, you're going to deny me. And, and Peter said, no, no, I won't. And then they went into the, Jesus was taken away. Peter went in to warm his hands. And what do you know? He faced people who said, oh, I know who you are. Okay, here we go. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. When he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto them they which stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth thee. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus. I'm going to stop there for now. Well, here was Jesus, or I'm sorry, here was Peter, trapped by affiliation. At this point, he suddenly had no, no desire to be associated with Jesus. When Jesus was healing, when Jesus was popular, then it was fine. But this was another story. Jesus was being taken away. They were beating him. Terrible things were happening. He was confused. He was betrayed by his accent, by his appearance, by earlier sightings with Jesus. And he was called out. And he said, this is not a good time to be noticed. He didn't really want to be a part of everything that was going on here. You know, he had, he had done what he knew how to do. Peter was a man of action. And in the garden, he did some action. He knew what he could do. He pulled out his sword and he took a swipe and Jesus rebuked him. And so now he doesn't... He doesn't know what to do, and they take Jesus away, and then they're saying, oh, you're one of those two, and no, no, I don't, I, don't want any, I don't want any part of this kind of goings on. So he was trapped by his affiliation. He saw it as an accusation that they were giving against him. Now, Peter hadn't left. He was close by. That's why he was noticed. His integrity didn't allow him to leave the situation entirely. 
but he didn't want to be fully involved in it either. Do you ever feel trapped by affiliation? Like you have to be part of a church that you don't really support, that you have to button your top button in Bible school because that's what they do here, but you really think that's going a little bit too far. You want to be somewhere else. You want to do something else, but here you are and you're stuck and you seethe inside and you feel trapped by your affiliation, but you don't want to distance yourself too far. You're trapped by your integrity. Well, now I'd like to look at why, we, why people get trapped. How do they get there? Look at Balaam. How did he get to where he was? He was given an opportunity. A chance presented itself for all the things that he'd never had access to before in his life. What are the opportunities that you face? And I'm going to say opportunities in quotes. Is it looking at sinful content on your phone or computer? Is it listening to wrong music? Is it going to negative places? Tossing in with a reckless peer group? Is it driving like a maniac? Trying to impress others? Things that your flesh craves? You want to do it so badly, but you know it's wrong. That's how you get trapped by desire. What about David? He was given an assignment. That's how he ended up where he was. It was a responsibility he never even asked for. He didn't go out campaigning to be anointed king. It just came onto him. I mean, what a reward for living a good life, right? That you're being pursued around the wilderness by an insane ruler. What are some assignments that you face? Maybe it's teaching school or Sunday school. Leading singing, having devotions, children's story. Maybe it's going on a mission field. Or maybe here at Bible school it's peeling potatoes and washing the windows and sweeping the floors and keeping your dorm tidy and going to bed on time. That's places where something's expected of you. And you have the choice of skewering your authority like Abishai wanted to do and doing what feels good like David could have done or you can give in to your authority with reluctance. And you can make sure that everybody knows that you really don't want to be doing this. I really hate peeling potatoes when I could be playing volleyball. And you make sure everybody knows you'll do the job, but it's only because you have to. That's how you get trapped by integrity and assignment. What about Joseph? He was given a situation that was completely out of his control. That's how he ended up where he was. He was confused about what had happened to Mary. He was hurt by the incident. He was fearful of the implications. He just wanted out. What are situations that you face that you feel trapped in? Things that you can't control. Maybe it's fellow students who are mean and snobby. Or maybe you don't have great athletic abilities and you can't soar high above the net in volleyball. Maybe it's hard for you to study. Maybe you've got past pain or trauma in your life that's difficult to deal with. These are things that you might not be able to do anything about. But you want everyone to know just how hard life is for you in this. Make sure that they understand that this isn't easy, that you wish you could soar high above the net in volleyball, and, and you feel resentful of those that do. You are given opportunities where 
you actually could, maybe with good reason, let out some emotions, but you don't. I'm not going to do or say that, but I could. I want you to know that I could tell you something about them. I know something about that person, and I could, oh, I could feel you fool, but I'm not going to. And we hang on to this righteousness, so-called, and we seethe inside. We feel trapped by our integrity. And that's allowing your life to be defined by the decisions that other people make. What about Peter? He was given an accusation, or at least that's how he took it. When they said, you're with Christ, he took that as an accusation. You belong with those people. How do we feel attracted by affiliation? So when people say, oh, you're part of that church. Oh, you're from that place. Oh, you're one of those people. Oh, that's your family. These are things that people say that we take very personally. We don't like that association. Or at least we don't like the negative associations. For example, we're fine with people giving glowing reports about Mennonite workmanship, but not with the looks and comments that are unflattering. Say, they dress so weird. We don't want to be affiliated with dressing weird or being out of touch or whatever that means. So we try to be as current or hip as possible without actually being worldly, whatever that means to us. We listen to nasty music, watch stupid videos, dress with prominent logos, crazy styles, so that we're not seen as those people. We really want to be accepted by society, but we won't go so far as to just leave our church. We're just going to push those guidelines as razor thin as possible and get by with what we can. We desperately desire to be appreciated, but we won't go too far. We wish we could, but we're just held back by our church, our fellowship, our conference, whatever it is. We're trapped by our affiliation. We're trapped by integrity. Now I'd like to talk about how to get out of the trap. I'm going to read what happened to Balaam, how he got out of there. In Numbers 31. You see, Balaam got what he wanted eventually. Numbers 31, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterwards shall thy people, shall thou be gathered unto thy people. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe a thousand, throughout all the tribes of Israel, shall ye send to the war. So they were delivered out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand of every tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest to the war, with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males, and they slew the kings of Midian, beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi, and Recham, and Zur, and Hur, and Reba, five kings of Midian. Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. Balaam got what he wanted. He was right, look, where's his name here? It's right in with the kings. That's what he wanted. He had been trapped by his integrity, but he managed to get out. He got out of that trap. He got in with the kings. He got what he wanted. 
And what happened? He got killed with the kings. You see, he was never released. What happened is he truly trapped himself when he thought he was releasing himself. He should have been thrilled. His dream had been realized. He was part of the Midianites at last. But what was the result of this freedom that Balaam got? It was death. What about David? Psalm 71. I'm not going to read the entire psalm here, but I'd like to look at it. This is David looking back on his life and talking about where he is now. I'm going to read the first, four verse, or first five verses. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast, thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man, for thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. David was released by his assignment. When he focused on God, the giver of the assignment. He's looking back in this, if you read the entire psalm, he's looking back over a full life where he had relied on God and he continued to rely on God. He wasn't bitter about his situation. He knew where joy and fulfillment began and where it ended. What about Joseph? In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And he shall, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph was released by righteousness. He understood the message of God. See, Joseph was looking for a reason to believe. He wasn't looking for a reason not to. Joseph was looking for the good. And that showed that he really was a just and righteous man. And when he understood, he went along without hesitation. The very thing that had looked like a trap was, in fact, his salvation. The out-of-control situation that he thought he found himself in was actually God at work. And Peter, it says, The Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter was released by repentance. 
He realized he wanted to be associated with Christ regardless of the cost, regardless of the hardships. When he no longer saw this affiliation as an accusation, but an identity, he was actually released by the very thing he thought was trapping him. By aligning himself with the right side and caring more about being with Jesus than being with the accusers or, being, or the opinions of the accusers. And Peter saw that he didn't actually want to be with these ones that had been saying, oh, we know where you're from. He wanted to be with Jesus. So you see, integrity was never a trap at all. True integrity is not trapped. It's not a feeling of helpless longing for fleshly things that's just held back by a thread of holiness. True integrity is defined by the decisions you make, not the decisions others make. True integrity means understanding what my desires should be. In Psalm 34, 37, verse 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And if your delight is in the Lord, if your desire is to bring glory to him, he's going to give you that desire. He'll allow you to bring glory to him. The desires of integrity are not the desires of Balaam. They're the desires of Jesus. True integrity means embracing my responsibilities, taking them gladly for what they mean, for the sake of what they mean to the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And that's putting myself out of the picture. True integrity means righteousness. Righteousness is based on the character of God. And we look to his example for what my righteousness should, should reflect. True integrity means rejoicing and thrilling in your affiliation with Christ and with his people. There's no one you should rather be with than those who are committed to serving God and knowing him better. If you feel trapped, you had good teaching, good peers, someone maybe that you want to impress or at least not disappoint, but not true integrity. I'm not going to take the time to go here, but in Romans 7 and 8, Paul talks about true integrity, and he explores the relationship of the New Testament with that of the Old. And the conclusion that he comes to is that in the Old Testament... You follow the law, you could do the right thing. But now, your life can be transformed. It's not the same. And your mind can think the right thing. Now this law is in your heart. It's not only giving you physical directives, but you now have a complete change of heart. And that will, of course, lead to physical manifestations. So in conclusion... Integrity is never a trap. That's the lie of the devil to keep you from the freedom that comes from abiding in Christ. Pure desires, authority, responsibility, righteousness, godly associates, repentance, those aren't traps. That's true freedom. When God works in your life and in your conscience, praise him for that. And here at Bible school, I challenge you to make this a year that your integrity is built, that your faith is strengthened, 
and that your knowledge of God and his word and his church and his people is increased so much so that when you go home, you can't help yourselves. It just spills out and things get changed around you. That's God at work. When, God, when people don't see you, but they see God at work in you. So I want you to know that I'll be praying for each of you this term. I'll be praying for Bible school, and I'll be praying for each one of you, and that, uh, that this would just be a transformative time in a time when God's kingdom is built. Let's stand for prayer. Our eternal Father in heaven, I thank you so much this morning, Lord, for each one that's here this morning. And I pray that you would just bless this Bible school in a powerful way. I pray that your spirit would be felt, that you would be present in the classes, in the studies, in every aspect. Lord, I pray that you would be with each one of the students, that you would work in their hearts and in their lives and that you would help them to go home burning with the fire that you've planted in them. And I pray that from here it would just go on out and that uh, your kingdom would be built and strengthened because of this term and that there would be many people in eternity because of what happens here this year. Just bless the continuation of this day and this service, I pray as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.